following program is a proud member of the Palaver family of podcasts. Check out all the shows over at palaver.com. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Can I eat this roast beef? You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. Okay, welcome to of the GGTMC. Uh, my name is Large William, uh, certainly, and across the border from me is not my friend from the south, Sammy, uh, but another friend of ours in, I guess, what would you be considered, the northwest? Or no, not the northwest. Uh, there goes my... Uh, the mountains. The mountains. mountains. Yeah, the, the, the Wasatch Front, apparently it's called, but I don't really pay attention to geographical location where I am. No. Because I'm certainly not... not, not He's been he's been too busy uh, trying to break uh, records in the uh, the salt plains or the salt flats on his motor on his Indian motorcycle. So yeah, yeah. here he is. You know him. You love him from or, Hamacus. I'm on, on my motorcycle. Yes, the one, the only, the Bryn from the yeah. mighty Hammy. Uh, this has been a long, long time coming. Brian uh, has been a great friend of ours, a great friend of the show for quite some time. We've both uh, guested on Hamacus, uh, and it was finally time to return the favor. Now. The good news in all this is, I guess, if there is a if, is sort of good news, is despite Sammy not being here, and in the next few weeks are going to be a little difficult scheduling-wise because Sammy and I are uh, on different schedules, and you know his schedule has changed, my wife's going off mat leave, etc. We are still going to have an episode out every week, uh, maybe a little different in terms of format, but we're going to have some other guests in to keep the keep the show rolling here, keep the train rolling. Uh, but the good news in all this is you won't get the Revenger and Django the Bastard this week. But you will be getting some other tasty stuff here that we'll talk about in a moment. But you are going to get them at the within probably four or five episodes. So we do plan on having Bryn back uh, because Sammy thought the Revenger talk was <laughs> was too good to pass up. So we held off on that. And after a lot of back and forth, uh, Bryn was was gracious enough to uh, get me sorted and get something to me so we could uh, record an episode. So with this episode, uh, he was kind enough to pick a film that. I had never seen, and I think it's a, it was a great pick for a lot of reasons, and that, of course, is The Offense, Sidney Lumet, 1972. And the great thing about this, Bri, is uh, picking this film, we have our first Lumet, which is good. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of baffling that we haven't done a Lumet up until this point. And oddly enough, it's our first Connery, so I want to thank you for kind of ushering in two things we should have done, you know, 135 episodes ago. Yep. And it does tie into Hamacus because when I had Dr. Zom on, because um, Dr. Zom, you know, cause with, with Hamacus, if you haven't listened to Hamacus before, uh, I'll, we, we cover Hammer and Hamacus and every tenuous link in between. But I, I have my normal co-host, which is Mike uh, from uh, another another show, um, The Cadaver Lab, and he's on every other week. And um, then I have special guests on in, in the interim weeks. And the only other guest that has been on more times than and my other co-host is Dr. Zom, and and he was on last week. And I do I do a a, a segment called Get to Know You Through Film, where I ask specific uh, questions that are aimed at understanding your life, but through 
specific films that have touched you through through areas of your life. And actually, The Offense was the first film that Zom ever bought on VHS. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I know Zom's a huge Lumet guy. And, I mean, really, anyone who listens to our show, your show, Sylvan Gold, any show for that matter, that, that is in our circle, I don't know why they wouldn't like Lumet. But, uh, yeah, I know, yeah, Zom's a huge fan of the Lumet. So that's very good. I didn't know that, man. Yeah, and it was only last week that he was on, and uh, that I, I learned this. And he said he he uh, he, he would buy the, the old catalogs of all just the listings of mm-hmm. VHS, and he would he would just go through and mark them and mark them and mark them. And that was the it was actually the offense and uh, the hill, which is another Connery and Lamette film. But this is for later on in the show when we actually start talking about the film. So, but um, but it all comes full circle. So. Yes, it always does find a way to kind of come full circle. Um, I guess in saying that, uh, what have you been watching lately? I know you're a man who uh, who's fortunate enough in some ways to be able to get a little more movie watching in uh, because of your line of work, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, and and sort of the uh, the pitfalls and and the uh, the high notes of being a, uh, a male stripper. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> a male stripper, like day, and a festival uh, programmer by the other parts of the day <laughs> and, and certainly the the proud founder of remington men of steel it should be said the utah yeah. chapter so <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll get into all that uh as we go here but what what have you seen lately i know you 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 know often i'm keen to see what you've been watching on facebook and stuff because you got a pretty varied uh spectrum of films you like to get into yeah well as a as a cinema fan and a cinephile uh you know my my watching is just you know i, I sort of get stuck in i set myself little little film festivals um, I have been on a Hal Holbrook um, watching nice. spree for a while, um, but you know there's a couple here that that weren't really in, in in my last week. You know, there's no point me. So obviously this is my first time on the show, but so I'm not going to say what I've been watching for the last 34 years of my life. Um, but, so I'll, I'll just go in from, from for the last week. But there was a couple that were just on the uh, on on the, the day before the last week. So every day, which was uh, Leif Schreiber. Um, Helen Hunt and Brian Dennehy, which was a nice. Oh, and um, Eddie Azard was in there too, and it was a nice little sort of romantic comedy drama. Um, you know, which was nice if you're looking for something to sit down with the wife. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not too terrible, but that was a a, a decent little uh, dramedy comedy type thing. Good cast. Uh, yeah, and you know, I I sort of had it, I'd seen it a, a a trailer off it a couple of, a while back, and I, I liked the Schreiber. Um, and obviously Eddie Izzard's good too, and Danahy knocks out of the park every once in a while. And I thought, you know, if I have to watch something with the wife, I'll stick that on. Uh, and then it popped up on Instant Watch. So um, then I hit eight million ways to eight million eight million ways to die. Oh yes, um, uh, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, Jeff Bridges, uh, alcoholic sheriff um, who has to protect a hooker from uh, a cocaine baron. Which I was Andy Garcia's first film, and you can't get more '80s than this. You know, it was, it was um, you know, all the blue neon uh, text signs. So that was good fun. Oh yeah. Um, so then we get into my real proper uh, weekly watching. Now this was a, a good one that I, I'd seen, you know, advertised about maybe a year and a half ago, and then it just disappeared off the off the face of the planet. Uh, but it was Tracker, with uh, my main man Ray Winston. Oh, yes. Um, so he's a, a, a guy from the Boer War. 
you know, always known as this this terrible sort of uh, war criminal. Uh, and he turns up in New Zealand, and all the British guys are scared of him um, because of the atrocities that he's done against the, the British fellas. But they have to get him to go off after this Maori fella. Um, now this was this this sort of reminded me very much of a, a like an original Hammer film because there was a lot of good. Well, they were honestly they were good soundstage stuff. Um, but the, you could always, you could tell there were specific soundstages just because of the lighting. But then they go out into the great old countryside. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was really good, really worth a watch. And Winston's always great with his accent. You know, uh, I always remember him from Beowulf. Oh yeah. I'll kill your monster. <laughs> um, but Winston's always top notch. And then my my weekly Hal um, Holbrook was uh, murdered by natural causes, where he's a mentalist, and uh, his wife tries to kill him so that she can get his money, but she she d- doesn't take into account that he's a mentalist, and <laughs> he, can, he can read her mind. <laughs> Bad news bears for her. Yeah, and, and she has her lover, and uh, she has a couple of lovers, and um, it's it's very much like a, a Clue uh, type thing, like with, with Michael Caine and, and Larry Olivier. Right. They have, they have all these sort of tricks all around the house, and, and he sort of goes along with the game, and, and it's, a, it's a really cool, like, nice, I, I'm pretty sure it was made for TV, but... It was good to see the, the Holbrook, you know. What, what's up with Holbrook being sort of this henpecked man or just in terrible marriages? Like, it seems like a lot of films he's in, poor guy is in sort of bad marriages or has bad familial relationships. Um, like, The Crate was the first thing I ever saw how Holbrook came when I was a kid, and I loved it. And ever since then, I've kind of been a fan of him. But, um, like, there's one, you know, it's a really great one, actually, since you're doing a bit of a Holbrook run. It came out last year. Uh, God, he plays a man who was in an old folks home and uh, he was nominated actually for an Oscar for best supporting or best thing, best actor maybe last year. And he comes back, he sort of leaves the, he leaves the home unexpectedly and finds out that his farm that he lived with his wife on for, you know, 40, 50 years has been rented out to, you know, kind of a scummy trashy family by his son. Um, it's a really good film. I actually would highly recommend you check it out. Uh, if you haven't seen it, Brian. No, I don't know. I, it was, the only one that I that I know recent is the one, the Sean Penn, Into the Wild. Oh, that's a great one, yeah. He was nominated for that, too. Great yeah. actor, man. He doesn't get enough acclaim, as we've said before. I think, did he not win for Into the Wild? He, I hope he did, man. I hope he did, because, like I said, I'm a big Holbrook fan myself. So yeah. Another good one I've seen recently was Natural Enemies, where he just he decides to go out and get five prostitutes uh, to spend the day with him um, to... to, to, to to find to to have this this um, um, fantasy before he goes home and and kills his family and kills himself. Oh wow! Which isn't a very happy film, but um, <laughs> you know it's still an interesting concept. Yeah. Um. So. Um, that, that evening sun is the one I was thinking of. Yeah. Okay, I'll have to look that one up. Yeah, it's a good one. You'll like it. Um, then after that, I watched the, the Body Stealers, which was for Hamacus with Dr. Zom, uh, about these nasty aliens that uh, steal uh, paratroopers as they're jumping out of planes and then just the, the parachutes land without the bodies, wow. which is interesting. So if you want to hear about that, go and listen to Hamacus. Uh, then I watched The Lincoln Lawyer. Uh, I would have rather watched a film about Lincoln Logs. <laughs> but, and, and I actually said... Uh, 
in in my little Facebook post that uh, at least McConaughey didn't lean up against anything in the poster, but now nice. I realize he actually leaned up against the car. Oh boy, he's always leaning on something, man. But at least he didn't take he didn't have a shirt off. In True, it. and his arms were really crossed. Uh, I or think his pockets kind of shrugging. Yeah, I think he's rest. Well, he's wrestling his car and he's sort of smugging, smirking. Ugh. Um, but uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty rough. Um, but it was Netflix. Netflix foiled me with their sort of short waits and long wait queue, and then that I, I can't. I don't even know how it got on the queue in the first place, but. Um, then I watched The Ward, which was disappointing all around, but um, I enjoyed Jared uh, Harris's performance. Mm-hmm. He's uh, Richard Harris's son, which a lot of people don't know. Um, I'm a big Richard Harris fan, um, which got me on to Trojan Eddie, which is an Irish film that a lot of people don't know, with uh, Stephen Ray mm-hmm. and um, Richard Harris and Brendan Gleeson and near enough every other Irish actor that there is out there, um, and uh, uh, Stephen Townsend, uh, he's in it too, and it's about uh, Stephen Ray's uh, market trader, not as in a uh, not a, a, a stockholder like a New York market trader, but a market trader on the on the market selling uh, stolen goods, and he decides to go up against the you know the IRA to steal steal their money mm-hmm. and uh, Richard Harris um, doesn't quite like that so he sends out uh, Brennan Gleeson the, the, the heavy guy after them um, which reminded me of a little quote you know when Richard Harris died they went to um, to write in the book of condolences there was a there was a little note in it that is that a mother and a daughter wrote in it that the mother wrote um, from a mother who fell in love with you as um King Arthur, and from a daughter who fell in love with you as as uh, Dumbledore, which nice. I thought was nice from a you know from a, from an actor who, who spanned so many generations. Oh yeah, you know. Then I watched Riders of the Whistling Skull, which was the first ever uh, Western horror film from like 1931. Oh wow! Uh, which was pretty terrible all around. It was like a comedy type thing. You had like the they were called the. The three mesquiteers, and uh, they had the first ever mummy and uh, like Indians and stuff, but it was it was pretty rough. <laughs> um, then the hole, the new John da- uh, Joe Dante film. Oh yeah, I saw you to watch that. Um, it was pretty cool, you know. Uh, you're pretty interesting, you know. Joe Dante really needs to find a new stick if he wants to get stuff released. Mm-hmm. You know, he's sort of stuck in his whole thing, but you know, if you if you find something you like you know stay with it if you can do something well but you know um i can understand why it sort of isn't getting released but um the 3d was decent you know you can you can see that they obviously built sets with uh, forced perspective you know to hit the 3d um but you know the all the kids had justin beaver um haircuts really pissed me off so that uh, really bothered me then after that obviously the revenger and Django the bastard and then i finished off yesterday with the prowler because i gotta do mike is forcing me to do um i do a a part in the show where we do um appreciation because mike only likes to watch crazy horror films and i'm trying to make him watch the uh, other other cinematic uh glories but in order to make him watch stuff uh he makes me watch 
horror stuff, you know, we've got to do a bit of quid pro quo. So. Yeah, certainly. That's that's only fair, I guess. I mean, you know. Yeah, and if you want to, if you want at all, hear a great um, review of Breathless. Listen to a couple of episodes ago on uh, Amicus, and you'll hear some wonderful Richard Gere impersonations. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah. where I right right where I am. I, I was I was looking forward to hearing that. Yeah, you'll they've pretty much taken a life of their own across Facebook. So, <laughs> uh, so. So that's that. That's what I've been watching. Nice. And then nice. obviously, obviously uh, uh, I caught up with uh, the events last night. Yes. Um, I had a pretty short week. You know, I'm just a miserable man. I, like I was saying, I got a herniated disc in my back, so I just don't want to. I don't, I'm not in the mood to watch anything. I don't have the time. I'm just in agony, fucking laying on the couch, laying on the floor, legs up, legs down, legs bent, legs straight. It's just, it's, it's been a real legs short. Kimbo? Yes, precisely. <laughs> uh, Never splayed, uh, for as Zom would probably suggest. But um, nonetheless, I did get uh, some quality films in this week. I got in firstly Bambi on Blu-ray with my kids. I didn't get all the way through, uh, full disclosure. But uh, we try to do a family movie night every you know couple weeks where we have dinner downstairs and in our basement and uh, like a little picnic type thing. We put out the checkered blanket and and we watch a film and stuff. Um, it's been kind of mixed a mixed bag in terms of William paying attention. You know, he's still at that age where 20, 30 minutes seems to be about his threshold, unless it's something that's really grabbed him, um, which was good about the Winnie the Pooh movie because it was about 50 minutes. It was just, he just kind of broke through the, the finish line. But um, I, this film, considering it's 70 years old, looks great on Blu-ray. It's a classic that I think anyone should would be happy to own. Yeah. Uh, uh, do you know when, when Disney started doing their straight-to-DVD sequels? Mm-hmm. That... Um, when they did Bambi 2, um, because Bambi had uh, had really fallen off the map and was got into the Disney nasty worlds, yeah, was stuck giving executive relief to the, all the woodland animals. <laughs> so if the if Bambi 2 hadn't come along, you know, they should really gone down the the rabbit hole, so to speak, and was oh in the rabbit hole, yeah, so to speak. So yeah. it was good that the, the that they started doing the DVD. Direct to DVD, or would have been bad news. Bad, bad news bears for yeah. for Bambi. Well, good news for some bears, but bad news for Bambi. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then you know when they open the vault every ten or fifteen years and, and throw stuff out on Blu-ray and stuff. So I think we're going to try Lion King maybe next. Uh, oh, I saw that they're they're re-releasing Lion King in 3D. Yeah, well, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to do the 3D. We might just do the blue. Um, yeah. You know, we'll see. That's one that you know I got to say chokes me up. It's probably really going to clobber me when uh, I'm watching it with my kids. But you know, what kills me is um, there's the Jungle Book. It still oh, kills me every time yeah. the blue dies, even though he doesn't die. He's pretending to be dead, but he still still kills me. But that is that's a great one, man. And you know what I love that people don't really give enough uh, love to. I think it's Robin Hood, the Disney one with the fox and the and blue yeah. again. Speaking of blue and stuff, but anyway, uh, next up, I watched a film that is playing at TIFF, and I'd never heard of this film until I saw it was at TIFF, and as everyone knows, I can only see probably three, well, everyone, sounds a bit arrogant, as people that listen to our show yeah. uh, know through me saying, you know, I can only probably see three or four films this year, so i got to really pick wisely, and, and even though there may be stuff that I want to see more, i.e. Drive, uh, and a few others, the Friedkin, etc., um, I'm going to abstain from them, because I know I'll get to them through either mass release in theater, or through DVD, before some of these other sort of Russian and European or Asian films. So um, one of the films that uh, that I – it was probably at the top of my list was a film um, 
let me just kind of see if I can bring up the uh, the synopsis so you can guys can kind of see how it kind of grabbed me right away. And I was like, this I have to see this. It's a film from I think 1969. It's called Invasion. It's an Argentinian film by Hugo Santiago. And uh, this is a film that I, I never even heard of. And then when I read this, I thought this film sounds like it's, it's incredible. And uh, it certainly lived up to that. I was able to track it down. Uh, and here's the synopsis. Invasion is the legend of a city, imaginary or real, besieged by powerful enemies and defended by a handful of men who may not be heroes. They will fight to the end without suspecting that their battle is endless. So it kind of plays on the Iliad in modern Argentinian times. It doesn't specifically say it's Argentina. Um, but this film feels like one of those late 60s paranoid kind of thrillers. Um, it, it's a fucking masterpiece, man. I can't recommend this film enough. Uh, even in real cinephile circles, uh, like on movie and stuff like that. Even a lot of people there are like, man, I'd never heard of this film. And, and uh, you know, until a few people kind of turn them up, other members uh, on that side onto it. It's a fucking amazing film. If people can track it down, Invasion 1969, Hugo Santiago, it's superb. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be near the top of my list, if not at the top of my list for films that I've seen this year for the first time. Um, it has it like a special a re-release for TIFF, or yeah, because every year TIFF does uh, they focus on a city um, or a country, and yeah. they put out films like this year's Argentina. So it's primarily modern films, but I guess one of the programmers knew this film was a hidden gem and wanted to kind of put it on the big screen. Um, it feels French. It feels like a, a, a sort of like a, a Melville meets. Godard in the best possible way like it, it feels very much Godard in terms of the way it's edited and stuff and although I'm not a Godard fan it's it's like Godard done right and that sounds kind of silly but I think this guy actually worked under Santiago actually worked under Godard or oh I can't remember who else uh, he worked under some of the French greats but highly recommend this film uh, next up was one that you had uh, advised me to check out and it's one that I know you had a lot of praise for after you'd seen it at Sundance uh, I believe and that was Knuckles, which is... Uh, I like the ultimate title, King of the Travelers, better, it should be said. I don't know how you feel about that. But uh, it's a documentary about uh, uh, Irish uh, gypsies, I guess. Correct me if I'm wrong, for lack of a better description, or maybe that is an apt description. And no, the, the the bare-knuckle boxing matches that members of these families partake in to solve, or not even solve, but to kind of quell the... the <laughs> This sort of uprise uh, amongst the families of hatred, and kind of to solve problems and so forth, they'll they'll get into these bare knuckle boxing matches, and it's it's certainly not perfect, but it's a glimpse into a world that I would have never been privy to otherwise, and I, I think anyone who listens to our show would uh, would enjoy it. it. It's it's a good documentary, definitely, and I know you uh, you dug it too. Oh yeah, you know it really shows the brutality of um, of real fighting. You know, if you think you're the big man and you can take someone down. Like, you always, like, what I see, uh, especially in, you, you know, coming from where I'm from, you know, where you see a lot of violence, mm-hmm. uh, and then you, you come to America where it is a violent country, you know, and a lot of, you know, uh, peacocking and, and uh, you know, chest beating. Mm-hmm. And then when you when you get into a real fist fight that, you know, a couple of punches and you're down, it's not. Um, and I, I think... You know, there'd be a lot more respect and honor because there is a lot of honor in in those fights. You know, there that's whereas there is so much hatred and anger between the families. Mm-hmm. Um, in the fights, you know, there's such the code, you know, um, and they do respect each other in in those forms, which I thought was was amazing. You know that um, 
that that, that there is that level of, of respect between them, mm-hmm. which I really uh, found interesting. You know, I really thought they'd just be kicking their heads off each other. Oh yeah, no, I like the the whole fair play thing, and yeah, it's it's one of those things. I think it's a very much a masculine thing, but it's uh, yeah. And I was telling you, man, like I was, I had anxiety watching this because, like you said, you know that that these blows are real. I mean, this is real men hitting each other with fucking bare knuckles. And you know, I've been in a few fights in my day, and and uh, God, I mean, all it takes is one punch, man. And, yeah. and you know, there's talk. The, one of the guys, the main guy, it says at one point. You know, I have one punch and, and I could be dead or I could kill the kill the man. And it's uh, yeah, it's it's really an interesting documentary, certainly. Yeah. And you see them, you know, there's one guy who just keeps coming back from war and they're telling yeah. him, stop it. You're just done. Just stop. it. And he says, no, no, I'm coming. I'll keep going. <laughs> you go, no, just sit down. You're done. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I haven't had enough. I haven't had enough. Yeah. And then there's a the one young guy who they, they end up going for two and a half hours. And I just think, Jesus. You know, a five-minute fight leaves most people winded, just winded. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so interesting. That's a, that's a good one, certainly. Um, then I watched one that I'd seen a little bit of, but it kind of eluded me. Uh, it's an Indonesian one called The Forbidden Door. It's, uh, it's a horror film. Um, you know, Indonesia's interesting. They've put out some interesting stuff uh, as far as genre driven cinema goes or, or films go with uh, stuff like Marantau. They got the raid coming up at TIFF. It's going to open Midnight Madness. Uh, some of their more splattery stuff. This is a film that um, I think the filmmaker's talented, but I think for him he felt like uh, a slick, darkly comic, uh, well sort of sort of set design uh, made makes the film more intelligent than it is. Like He, he tries to look at this whole slant of uh, consumerism and and the 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 notion of the perfect family and he does a lot uses a lot of these ironic kind of 50s ads uh downtown in this indonesian and i don't know if it's jakarta or where it is but you know kind of those ironic 50s ads we see with like the mom and the with the the with the apron on smiling as she holds a glass of milk and life is good and all this stuff and it, it kind of felt like a bit obvious and heavy-handed at times uh when it was trying to be you know, uh, a biting look at, at the notion of uh, the perfect family and and um, consumerism and stuff. But it still is a good horror film, uh, certainly, um, with some, some good twists. And I think there is enough material there that this is one that could be ripe for a remake in the right hands if it was done well. So, yeah, but uh, interesting film nonetheless. Finally, I capped off my week, uh, excluding the offense, with a Russian film that I've been meaning to see for quite some time. It garnered a lot of praise at, uh, I think, Venice or Cannes in 2003. It's called The Return. Mm-hmm. Man, this film really knocked me on my ass. It's about uh, two young boys. Maybe they're about 13 and 15 or something, or 12 and 14. Their father returns home after being away for 12 years, and he takes the two of them on this trip to the um, to the wilderness in Russia. And it's about this kind of this battle of wills and and uh, fuck, it's a really good film. It's re- you know a lot of people mention Tarkovsky in terms of its influences and stuff. It's a fucking fantastic film. I what can't. Two thousand three. Yeah, I think is it one of those um, you know the ones that you get the the, the sanity like the independent. It might it might very well be. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh no no sorry you know what it might have been out through the film movement label that's what you're talking about but I didn't watch it that way um, I, I think I've seen it I think it, it reminded me of when I seen that you posted it I think I've seen it yes. I used to be on the film movement um, yeah it's fantastic though man just very poetic very lyrical um, 
God, it's it's beautiful to look at. Uh, really good film, and I can't recommend it enough. And uh, that's my week in a nutshell. Okay, guys. So uh, let's uh, take a break, and when we come back, we'll get into uh, a little Sean Sean. Sound Indeed. good? Indeed, happy days. Or Sean Sean Sean. We'll be right back. Indeed, Tara. <laughs> Are you looking for a way to connect with people who like the things that you like? Whether it's music, movies, TV, or whatever you're into, head on over to the palaver.com forums. <clears throat> yes, but forums and message boards are elitist and archaic. Well, yeah, maybe if you're an asshole. Palaver.com is home to all your favorite podcasts. So why not head over there now? Start talking about all the things you want to talk about. That's palaver.com. P-A-L-A-V-R.com. said in the opening it is another one film show this week uh just because you know our good friend brian here is uh, a man who wears a lot of hats in the film industry and uh we wanted to cover one film pardon me the film industry (laughs) and we we wanted to give him a chance to talk about what he does which is uh, which is pretty interesting and i think is is uh, certainly to be admired so once we talk about sean we're going to get into his stuff after that just as uh just to kind of uh, to clarify, I guess the uh, the structure of the show this week, and then we'll get into a little bit of feedback, a few emails, and next week we'll be back to uh, voicemails and and so forth. Um, so you picked this film. Why don't I kick it over to you for a uh, reason why you picked it, a synopsis, and uh, then I'll get into talking about it. Okay. Well, obviously, Sydney Lament is um, one of the cinematic greats. You know, you can you really can't tell. You know, from from film to film. There's a very slight, you know, thread. You know, it's not like, uh, uh, some other director like a Spielberg. Mm-hmm. You could uh, tell this is straight off. This is a Spielberg film. I like Spielbergian or a Hitchcockian. You know, you don't say that this is Lumetian. True. Uh, you know, there, but there is a very fine thread that you can you can thread them together. But uh, every single film, you know. Are, are are of their own uh, type, you know. And, and my the very first Lumet film that I saw, which obviously I didn't know when I was sitting watching it, I said, "I'm going to sit down and watch a sitting Lumet." <laughs> was the hill? Yeah. And that was when uh, I was a wee young lad, and uh, I liked war films, and uh, I didn't even know who, who Sean Connery was, but I I knew who Roy Kinnear was, and he was this um, sort of fat jolly sort of children's um, performer back in the days. And I remember sitting with my grandpa and The Hill was on. And uh, The Hill is basically about uh, this, this uh, you know, deserters in the British Army that get sent to a, 
you know, a, a prisoner of war camp for deserters and, uh, and and British things. And this was the first time that I'd seen a war film that wasn't about, you know, John Wayne or uh, uh, David Niven or Roger Moore just running around shooting Germans and having a great old time and winning the war and saying, Jolly good show. And basically, um, there's Sean, Conner- Sean Connery and um, Ozzy Davis and Roy Kinnear, and they just basically have to build this hill with sand buckets, and they just have to run up and down this hill, fill the sand bucket, run up to the top of the hill, empty the sand bucket, and run back down. And this is in the middle of Africa, in the desert, and basically until they, you know, hope, they kill over. Hope they brought their coconut oil. Yeah, and um, you know to, to break them, and it's it's all about Sean Connery, you know, fighting against the system, and. Uh, so I'm sitting there, probably about seven years old, expecting this, you know, uh, big, exciting war film, and I get this type thing, and um, you know, and you know, you watch a film at that age, and you don't really know how films are put together, and you think, you know, there's this this camera. I don't even know if I knew that there was cameras existed. I just thought, well, this this thing, and these people are there, and you know, it's it's from one scene to another and this is all just happening for my entertainment. And I think that was the first time that I realized that war isn't all fun and games. <laughs> um, and then just on a side note, I, that because I was all excited, you know, I'm going to be a soldier and I'm going to go off and have all this fun and game, fun and fun and happiness. And I remember my mum smuggled me into to see the killing fields and, um, and platoon and, and stuff like that. You know, to try and make me realize that war wasn't fun. Yeah. You know, because they were really terrified that I was going to run away and whatever, just as you do when you're like 14 and fake your birth certificate so you can go up. Um, but that was my first experience with Sydney Lumet. And, you know, and so so the reason I, so, so getting on to the offense, you know, and Lumet, you know, he, he picked a lot of, he's one of those guys that would, would work with, with actors, you know, find his actor and, uh, you know, just work with him. So uh, Sean Connery was was his first one. So he did quite a few with him uh, right up until uh, his last. With um, I think the last one that he worked with was the one with Matthew Broderick. And, oh, uh, and, the family uh, business or something. Dustin Hoffman and Sean Connery. Is it the family business or something like that? Yeah. Which is another wonderful one. It just shows <clears throat> his uh, range going yeah. into the as well. Um, so the offense actually popped up on Instant Watch maybe six months ago, and it was there for about a week. And I was lucky enough that I flicked it on one night and I was able to see it, and uh, then it disappeared. Um, so anyway, so we were trying to find something to watch yesterday, and we originally were going to watch Hannibal Brooks to keep with the Oliver Reed uh, standpoint. But um, when I was trying to, to get that over to you, I saw the Anderson tapes, which is another wonderful uh, Sidney Lumet. Which I quite uh, love, yeah. Yeah, Sidney Lumet, um, Canary film, with uh, actually Christopher Walken's first film role. Walken, it's got uh, Martin Balsam in it. Um, I don't remember who the female lead in. Uh, not Angie Dickinson. Um, oh, fuck. Was it? Uh, she's a big Lakers fan. Uh, fuck. Diane Cannon, I think, is in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, well, you know, just another, another, another just to show what what Lamette, you know, an amazing, you know, how talented he was that he could jump in from, from genre to genre. So, uh, and that made me thought, you know, why, why don't we do the first, uh, 
Sean, because obviously Sean has uh, has actually sent you in a couple of voicemails to the GTMC in the past. Yeah, it was time we pushed uh, the Sean a little bit, man. Because yeah, he he has called. He's been gracious enough to take time out of his 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 days to uh, to call our show. Yeah. Um. So that's why I thought you know that's I, I thought we should, we should jump on this one. So uh, I'll give you a, uh, there's a really quick synopsis here, which is a, a burned out. British police detective finally snaps while interrogating a suspected child molester. Uh, so this was 1972. Um, so I'll jump straight in. I think, you know, the um, you've got a very ethereal opening. Um, you know, you're very lost and you don't know what's happening. You know, the, the camera work and the, the audio, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's very sort of ghost-like. You're sort of floating around the police station, yep. uh, and then you, you finally get in. There's a lot of slow mo, and you finally get into the interrogation room, and you see uh, Connery there, um, and the way his fist is, is pulled back, you know, you can really feel the the anger, you know, and he, he really is, you know, that's, you know, you can really feel the tension that that something's gone wrong. He, you know, you talk about the anger, and I think that's something. You know, people talk about Connery, and I'll talk about when I talk about my my portion of the the film. But uh, being this icon of masculinity, which he is, but I think people don't give enough credit sometimes to his ability to act. And in this, it's not just someone yelling and ranting. I'm angry. Look at me. You really get the sense of this this off kilter, coiled like this tightly wound coiled anger that's ready to fucking spring out at any moment because he's just he's on the edge. Yeah, he's just totally unleashed, and he's he's gone. You know, this is really a he's um he's a tour de he's a tour de force. I never went on my joke there and said he's a tour de France. And this performance, whether in the yellow jersey is here, what is it, the pink jersey, or I don't know what it's the yellow jersey. Yellow. <laughs> uh, but this his performance really deserves because actually in this uh, he uh, when he when he when he agreed to come back for Diamonds Are Forever for United Artists, they he said you know I want to do. You've got to bankroll me for two other films because I'm sick of doing James Bond. Everyone is 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 uh, typecasting me as James Bond. Mm-hmm. And actually, this is what we um, on Hamakas last week when we did the Body Stealers. His brother Neil Connery was in the Body Stealers, and it was a it was a knockoff of James Bond. And Neil Connery is like the total opposite of Sean Connery. He's got the charisma of a block of wood. It's <laughs> like not awful. <laughs> He's got the mustache, and he's just like I look like Sean, so I'm gonna I'm gonna really go with this. Um, so Sean, so this was uh, so this was it cost a million dollars, and uh, it took nine years to recoup that ni- that million bucks. Um, this one, yeah, it took nine so, years. Yeah, so um, so United Artists said, okay, well you can we'll bankroll your two your two um, films of your choice if you come back for Bond. So he agreed. So there was this. And then he wanted to direct Macbeth. Um, so after this, failed to recoup their million bucks. Um, so he was he was working on Macbeth to direct it, and, but Polanski uh, beat him to the beat him to release on Macbeth, so they cancelled Macbeth. So then he went a right half about Bond, and it just like Bond was a real sore thorn in his side because um, he you know he's real typecast in these films. You know if you really if all you know. Uh, Connery as his Bond, you know, really delve into him because these are the performances that you're missing out on, you know, just to show his, his depth and and breadth as an actor, you know, um, you know, you got, you know, Bond, Darby O'Gill, Henry Jones, even Medicine Man, just his whole his whole, you know, subtlety 
but really we'll, we'll get back onto this because he's just a force, you know. Um, so as you go in, you know, you've got this, just your whole off kilter and you're lost in, in the cinematic experience of, of the way this has got you on edge as going in. And then you realize that the, the alarm bells are going off and you're coming back into reality just like Connery is. Because he has lost it, he's gone into that pure blind rage. Mm-hmm. And when the the sound and the audio and the camera work just comes back into stillness and he releases his fist and you, he just says, oh God, what have I done? And he, and he realizes when he, he's come back that he has just lost it. Yeah, and that's a line that gets bandied about a lot in films, sort of the, oh God, what have I done? But you really get the sense of the horror that he feels. Again, just kind of hearkening back to what you're saying about him being a good actor, and people are missing out if they think Connery, Bond, and that's all. That's where it begins and ends is they're missing out on a lot of great stuff, man. Yeah. Um, there's another wonderful scene, because obviously this is about, you know, uh, um, uh, child uh, abduction, and, and he's really, you know, he's really thrown himself into this this work over 20 years. Um, and the stuff that he's saying is really underlying. It's about post-traumatic stress, which was really pushed under the carpet back in those days. It, it, really, it still is. Yeah. It, oh, certainly. It, you know, it, it obviously was. It, it it existed from the beginning of time, even way back in the days when, like in biblical times, um, before when people when the men went out to war, they weren't allowed back inside the city inside the city walls for two weeks or whatever there was a cooling period where they had to stay outside and camp and do all this stuff before they were allowed even back inside the city walls because they knew about it way back then and then there was time and with with Hannibal and uh, Alexander the Great uh, but then over the years it's sort of just been we're, we're men and we're not going to deal with this and things go wrong um, but you can really see the subtleties and you can see how Connery has really thrown himself into this role to really remove himself from Bond because when he, when he finds one of the girls in the forest and he can just see the, the pure joy and the happiness on his face just through you know little movements in, in his eyes um, and the gentleness and joy just when he's brushing the, the mud and dirt away from her um, which I thought was really really good from going from pure anger and, and you know terror the oh, yeah. uh, Lamette's direction and his shot setup, his, his shot setup. That was a shot setup. Oh, was shot. All right, shot. Yeah, yeah shot, Lamette. I really appreciate your shot setup. Because <laughs> uh, oh, um, <laughs> you've got the with the lighting and the cold and wet, you know, of the British landscape. And obviously, this is back in the seventies when everyone was just, you know, concrete and. Um, you know they they're just out there because they're they're gonna go out and they're gonna find someone. You know they don't care who it is, but someone's gonna pay for the crimes. And obviously this poor fella, they you you never really know whether it was him that did it or not. But this poor old guy who's just been out in the Raz, um, you know, walking home drunk, and they pull him in and he's just blitzed out of his head. And they just oh, pull yeah. him into the. You can just see in his mind he doesn't even know what's happening. They just next thing he knows he's in the in the prison cell, in the in the interrogation room, um, and he's actually a, a Ian Bannon. He's a he's a Hammer stalwart. You'll he looks familiar to me, uh, to be honest. Yeah, you'll see him pop up in a lot of Hammer stuff. But um, and then that's when they uh, you actually get into the interrogation. Um, 
there's a there's some wonderful I love there was wonderful flashback scenes, uh, which I thought, you know, Fincher. It reminded me very much of Fincher, you know, oh, through Seven. Totally, totally. I thought of even Zodiac, the way some of the lighting and stuff in the uh, police precinct uh, certainly might have been influential uh, from this film. I totally, it's funny you say Fincher, man, because I totally got that vibe. Yeah, and this is back in 72, I thought, as well, with the the um, the soundtrack, the score was very reminiscent of Taxi Driver. And there was a lot of, um, you know, even the underlying message of, you know, the, the broken down man. Mm-hmm. Uh, very reminiscent of Schrader, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, Absolutely. Right back in 72 as well, you know, that a lot of people, you know, owe a lot. Because a lot of these films, you know, that are underappreciated and forgotten about, Which you just never true. know who's watching them and just say, you know, I'll take this, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it's different when people remake Straw Dogs. Ugh. You can't really hide that under the carpet yeah. and play it off. But someone could do the offense. I'm sure someone has done the offense and we just, you know, it was something in the late 80s or some kind of shitty Wonder Bread remake. I'm sure it's been done, man. I'm sure it's been appropriated and and hidden as such. Yeah, because that that scene, the flashback scenes where the policeman was going into that room, you know, when all the pieces were hanging off the ceiling. Yeah. And the the sort of prostitute girl was tied to the bed. That was exactly, that was pure carbon copy of... uh, the scene in Seven where they go into that into the uh, sloths or not sloth or where one of the rooms that was like sloth a, I think yeah which was disgusting yeah, yeah. and um, like the whole lighting and the soundtrack and like that whole flashback scene was Seven through and through <laughs> like there was nothing else yeah you know so Fincher I'm on to you yes yeah it's the same as uh, I caught I caught uh, Christopher Nolan stealing from um, from another old Hammer film as well so I'm on the cheating bastards. Yes. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, then poor old Connery goes back to his wife and his wife really wants to help him out, but um, he's he just lost it by this stage. Uh, you know, and he says, you know, I'll, I'll tell you if you want, you know, but you really don't want to hear it. Um, and he tells her and, and she's, you know, she doesn't want to hear it, but she she's trying her best. But um but there is nothing in, in available, you know, at this stage. Even these days, there's there's nothing available, you know, to help mm-hmm. these poor people. Uh, even coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, there's there's still people are still learning. At least at least now they're they're trying to to have something in. in it's it's better, but I know it's still uh, looked at as a sign of weakness. I, I know a lot of guys bottle a lot of shit up, even still, man. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but I thought, you know, that with, with Ian Bannon in the interrogation room, there were there were scenes, you know, that I'm pretty sure he wasn't acting at all. Because <laughs> Connery was pretty terrifying. The majority throughout this. Oh, yeah. So He really was. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I don't want to go into too many spoilers because I really think that most people, everyone, everyone should uh, go and search this out. So that's all my notes on it. So. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to jump into it. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy, you know, like I said in the beginning of the show, Sidney Lumet uh, is a director that, I'm, I think I'm even guilty of this, when we talk, we're, we're quick to say the Friedkins and the Schraders and of course the Coppolas and the Scorseses and, and everyone else in the 70s in American film, um, but not a lot of people mention Sidney Lumet, man, and Sidney Lumet, if you look at his filmography from the 60s right on through, uh, man, he's got a lot of fucking fantastic films in there. 
I mean, you know, he's made a lot of films that you can expect a certain quality. Now, I haven't seen nearly as much of his catalog as I would have liked. I mean, he he did. I know he's directed somewhere between 50 and 60 films, something like that. Um, yeah, we've done the, like, and everyone, like a lot of people, a lot of people's favorite films of all time, he would have directed and they won't even know. Yeah. Out the Afternoon, 12 Angry Men, Network. Serpico. Yep. Yep, and everyone will, will band these around, but they say, "Well, who directed them?" We go, "I don't know." And all, can, those will be like uh, the couplers and the, yeah, you know, and the, they'll have no clue who, who Sidney Lumet even is. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I know, man, and I'm so glad he went on a high note with "Before the Devil Knows You Dead." That's a fantastic film. Yeah, uh, you want to talk about things falling to shit quickly? <laughs> that oh, film yeah. <laughs> really, really did. You know what's funny too, man? I was looking just looking through his filmography here. Q and A is one I've always meant to see, especially since I watched that Nolte documentary, Nolte on Nolte, whatever the fuck it was. Yeah, yeah. He talks about Q and A in that one. How he thinks it might have been his best performance. Blah blah blah. Um, is that one "Find Me Guilty"? He did with um, with with a really bad wig, badly wigged Vin Diesel. Um, what's uh-huh. interesting is, and this is surprising, man. This film's got a seven out of ten on fi- on, on IMDb. Have you seen the film? Because I always thought it looked like it was going to be the worst fucking film ever, but. Maybe no. maybe there's something there. No, I haven't. No, I might see it now, man. You know, because I didn't realize it was Lumet for some reason. You know, I just saw this this fucking Vin Diesel with this uh, slick back bad wig on, and yeah, and that one slumped in the chair. Yeah, where he's like, he's got his shoulders shrugged. He's doing like the McConaughey shrug. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. but uh, but I mean, yeah, it, Lumet's done so much great stuff, and Connery. It should be said, another guy. I mean, this is an obvious statement for our show, but really you know a pantheon ggtmc or if there ever was one you know he did a lot of great stuff and mm-hmm. you know you and i talked about the anderson tapes i'm sure you know what when we finally get around to the anderson tapes i'd like to have you on to do it because like i said that's one of my favorite heist films i caught it on tcm underground i think last year i was like man this film's cool as fuck how did i never see it so we'll do that when the time comes to yeah pick um, up the dvd yeah it's big lots does big lots exist in, in no fact? it doesn't well because i got it for like three dollars and it's got a wonderful for for the film that it is. Uh, it's got this whole on like special features through the hilt, oh, wow. and you've got um, you, there's like this half an hour uh, special feature on Connery and he's just um, King of Cool, and he's just all this this whole on you know just uh, special feature on on Connery. Mm-hmm. So I was really surprised for three bucks, you know, that they, that they really went into all those special features for it. So if any of our listeners have a big lots near them and they're ever there. And they see the Anderson tapes. Pick it up for me. I will PayPal you the money. I will uh, Well, I have big lots near me, so I'll. Yeah, <laughs> uh, last year that I got it, so I'll see if it's still around. The yeah. great big lots is they've got this big bucket, and they just dump all these DVDs in every once in a while. You got to so really wade through it. And, well, you know, when I'm bored, I just go around and I just pile through it because they. It's always the old like uh, you know X rentals and stuff and. Oh yeah, and so, they love shit like Nighthawks in there and. Yeah, I've gotten some good stuff through those. I got I can't remember some of the stuff. Big lots type stuff from the sounds of it. Like I had grocery stores, they would dump them in these wire bins, just unceremoniously, just dumped them in there. And mm-hmm. I'd wade through and be holy fuck, I got this and this, and I got uh, you know semi tough for like a dollar. And just you know, it's uh, certainly I like doing that, man. Yep. Um, but and also as an aside, speaking about PayPal, I know uh, our listen, our friend Will, uh, Heaven's Trash. I got to shoot him over some chingaleros. Um, for a Blu-ray he grabbed me. So I haven't forgotten, Will. I just, well, I did forget until I remembered right now, actually. But I'll, I'll send it over to you very soon. Before you, This way you can get me the DVD. Because I don't want the DVD until 
I send you the, the chingleros. Um, so yeah, you talked about that great opening, man, and it's it's great, man, because it's kind of off kilter. It's slow mo. It's almost it's got these kind of shrill noises, and it, you're right, it is a great score in that it's very unconventional and kind of spare and haunting in a way. And uh, we see all it's it's great because it's in slow motion. All these officers, we see them frantically trying to get somewhere. And uh, I just think it right away, it really sucks you in, man. You know, it does a really great job of that. And, uh, you know, we see right after that, we see all these cops doing their best bowling pin impersonation <laughs> with Connery being the ball. Yeah. Like he's just bowling motherfuckers over. Um, and like I said, he's a real, real physical performance, certainly. Something he always did very well. Um as I think with a lot of Lumet films, this one's really well shot. Like there's a moment early on when, when the uh, could I use the term bobbies? That's yep. that's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bobbies are they're kind of prowl, like prowling around at night uh, through the countryside, and they're up on a hill, and you see this 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 line of them all with their flashlights lined up, looking for this girl. And I thought it was just a fantastic shot. Um. And then, you know, the discovery yeah, of it. a lot of – it was very reminiscent of um, – well, I wouldn't say reminiscent. Like um, uh, Red Riding Trilogy was very reminiscent. Yes. I thought of Red Riding too, man. I absolutely did. Yeah. And I think even to the point where the girl that that's kind of the focal point of the investigation, when we pick it up here, I wanted to look up the name because the name sounded – it reminded me of the names from the Red Riding Trilogy. Like if I, wouldn't, was, I wouldn't put it past. I wouldn't put it past. You know, I, I very much – I would probably say that – more than likely, they would have done a. If they, if they, if if the people who made Red Riding hadn't seen this and for research, it's uh, Janie Edmonds. Sure. Janie so. Edmonds. I'll have to try to look that up sometime. Um, and it should be said too, Lumet, an American, doing you know he did a few British films, uh, which he seemed to do quite well. Which I always liked seeing American directors do British films. Like uh, I know Altman did Gosford Park. I thought you know, quite well. Uh, you, you see really good filmmakers and they can jump over and catch some of the, the little nuances of, of a culture. Uh, I like seeing that. I think it's certainly a testament to their, their filmmaking. Now, he seemed like a filmmaker too, that worked a lot of genres and was content to kind of keep himself on his toes and, and keep himself fresh by working on different stuff. You know, he wasn't always the, the crime guy or this guy, you know, he seemed to work a lot with men on the edge uh, mentally mm-hmm. In his films, you know, network uh, this uh, Serpico through through uh, being sort of uh, um, ostracized uh, uh, in a number of his films, um, and you know, one thing I love about this film too, man, is it's one of the biggest things I take away from this film. I love how dark and moody the whole film is. We talked about those dimly lit corridors. There's a lot of shadows, and of course the shadows, you know, take on a different meaning. Certainly, the ambiguity of things, um, the uncertainty of things with certain characters. Um, I love, you see, I love films that I've said this in the show before, like talking about. I think it was, is it PTU, the Johnny Toe film? It's a film when I think Simon Yam, uh, and I think it's um, not Ingman Tat. It's uh, oh. I can't remember his name. No, he loses his gun, the detective, and this, the squad goes all night. They're trying to forget the, the cop's gun back because it's just the worst thing that can happen. Yeah. So I love films like this that there's only brief glimpses of daylight, and I like that because it, it keeps the mood throughout. It keeps, you know what I mean? It doesn't break that until you, you get this little bright light and stuff. So I really like that they did that. Um, and speaking of like, and I'm going to ratchet this up to love, Sean loves his chippies. He's not above asking for a few when he's interrogating someone. You can spare a couple of chips. 
Yeah. <laughs> I like that's that. A chip, that's a chip legit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm taking them home. Here, just buy a couple of chips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great, man. Um great dialogue in this film it really crackles and you know, the camera just kind of glides effortlessly it's it's one of those things that, you know uh, we talk about lumet it, it, see it's comes into that whole auteur theory thing which uh, maybe i'm not educated enough to <laughs> to weigh in on lumet like you said there's not things that we look at as being lumetian but generally speaking when you get a filmmaker like him or specifically lumet in this case everything's done of a certain quality you know the dialogue's great everything's just first rate so um yeah, everything was. They keep it on the food train, though, for a minute. Uh, we'll get away from chippies and get into beans, bangers, and eggies for the chief. Mm-hmm. That guy's got a good, good gig, man. He's got, he's got his uh, the other police officers fucking serving him his breakfast at his desk, man. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite dinners on breakfast. Yeah. Um, gorgeous. <laughs> yes, oh yeah, it's, it is quite nice. Oh, I can taste the yolk now. Yeah. Um, I love the hustle bustle in the department. Like it, it's one of those things. That there, there didn't seem to be like a level of artifice. Like you get in some things, you, you know, you'll get the, the whole, <laughs> the stock like with a cop bringing in the the transvestite uh, hooker and and the zany couple that's fighting while one guy's taking down their reports and stuff. Like it just it seemed hustle bustle and real without being overly dressed up, which I quite enjoyed. Um, you know, another thing that's great is the editing in this. It's really jarring in spots, which I think is really way ahead of its time with that whole, you don't get, you didn't get a lot of kind of jarring cuts like that in films back then as much. And it, it just, it certainly evokes, uh, uh, Connery's mental state where he is. It, it really helps to kind of punctuate that, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the line when Connery says, someone's asked him, well, what did you do? What did you, you know, with, uh, this, the, the man, uh, the, the accused so I talked to him in the only language he understood he'd understand pain yep that's great um, yeah, I really liked when the uh, detective chief comes in mm-hmm. and just says you know when they're sort of having the back and forth and uh, getting the respect out of him and saying you know you um, I don't really care I just have to get to the point and whatever you tell me I just have to get to the truth and whatever you tell me is going to be truth. the truth yeah. So it's sort of like we're going to look after you. Yeah. Connery's just like so out of it. <laughs> He's oh, yeah. just like, okay, now we're gone because you're just uh, you're done for. So we can't really help you out, but we're still going to try. Yeah. Um, oh, that was great. Um. Yeah. So I mean, you know, there's sorry to put in, but it, you know, there's a a lot that could be done as a, a two man play. You know, because I, sure. I certainly go and see this as a, as a two-man act. Yeah. Um, but I, I doubt a lot of others would. But no, uh, I would. It, you know, it couldn't. It, you wouldn't get a very long run. It wouldn't. It wouldn't stay too long in Salt Lake City. I can tell you that. You can maybe get a. You, you can get a good West End show out of it. Yeah. You know, um, obviously, if Connery was starring, uh, Connery and, and uh, Brian Cox or somebody. Mm. Um, but um, you know, if it was just. Um, average shows it wouldn't last too long but there were certainly very staged um sections of it oh yeah no I, you're right that's a good point it, it certainly did feel that way um and you know i think i may have mentioned this earlier but in case i didn't the thing that's doubly impressive about connery's performance is connery equals the cool unflappable masculinity that of a generation and to cast him in this role where it's the opposite of that. It's someone who's just completely on the verge of cracking up 
uh, it was a, I think a, a, a brave decision, but it paid off because Connery pulls that off, which we've kind of already talked about a few times here in the review. Um, and I mean, it's just again, it's the mark of a great filmmaker that he can he's assured enough that we don't need to see the pivotal scene in the film until the end of the film. He has enough substance that he can uh, carry us through an hour and twenty minutes before we even get to the the sort of the the titular offense, as it were, um, which is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we talked about some of the, the the violence in the film. It all felt really brutal, man. Like the close handed, you know, you see that backhand, but instead of like a backhand slap in this, he backhand punches the guy. Yeah. Just the thud, like the thuds it makes, man. It's just brutal. Yep. It's like a, I don't know, man. Like a, a couple pounds of ground beef hitting a fucking like a bowling alley floor or something. Mm-hmm. Just uh, and there are sections where the like Baxter is starts to egg him on. Mm-hmm. Um, calling him a sad little man, a sad pathetic little man. Because mm-hmm. uh, Connery's really, he's just got it in his head. There's, there's lots of times where he's just, he's really made his mind up. You know, that's him. You know, they're, they're making bets and saying, well, what is it? He says, well, I'd say it's sixty percent. He says, no, it's a hundred percent. He's in there. Well, we'll make him sweat. He's not sweating. He's laughing. That's yeah. him laughing in there. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, oh no, absolutely. Uh, my last note is, you know, Lumet kind of deftly guides us. He does the thing that not a lot of filmmakers can pull off, and he kind of guides us into more fleshed out gray territory. It's one of those things where I think we, we kind of we get behind the, the vigilante justice of our heroes a lot in films. And when someone, and I think I, I love that you brought up the point that, you know, we, we never truly know about the guy if he did or didn't do it because that doesn't matter. It's not really that. It's not what it's about. That happens to be the catalyst for what happens, but it's not important here in the grand scheme of the film and what Lumet's trying to say. And But I do like that Lumet does guide us in the more fleshed out gray territory. Uh, and it's something that, you know, it's difficult to do when you're talking about probably the worst thing anyone, like a man can do if he wants a bad reputation. Like he wants to be just the scum of the fucking earth. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, you're, they, he's able to elicit any sympathy. He really says something. So those are all my notes, man. Um, I'll kick it over to you for uh, make or breaks, MVT, and score. Yep. Um, well, my uh, make or break is obviously the you know Lamette, just his um, you know what he brings to it. Because any other director, there wouldn't be that whole you know because you're on edge uh, all the way through his direction and just the way the, the camera work and how you can just always almost feel how he is on set, you know, just, you know, standing there with his, with his hand on his chin and, you know, just the, the quiet before the storm, you know, just walking the set and just, just being quiet, just being in his thoughts and then just the burst of creativity and saying, you know, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And you just feel it. It's all, right there and then you know there's no second guessing it's just it's just right on point and he knows exactly what's going to happen and i just imagine you know on on his productions they would have just been run so smoothly um i can't imagine they would have been you know just crazy and there would have been a lot of respect for exactly what's what's going to happen uh mvt obviously is uh connery um there is a slight moment that I didn't enjoy was the interrogation scene does get a bit comical at the, stages they could have cut a couple of yeah. moments out like the yo-yo scene yeah uh, did bother me a bit when Bannon 
when Baxter, uh, yeah, Bannon and Baxter, his sort of performance goes a, a little comical for me. Yeah. At moments, you know, when he's when he's jumping around, you can you can take that okay, but the yo-yo part bothered me. Um, but saying that, you know, he's just pushing and pushing and pushing. So I don't want to say he gets what he's given, you know, but uh, but again, you know, he's blitzed out of his mind. Mm-hmm. So um, you you gotta know, you know, it's wrong situation at the wrong time, but. Uh, Connery's really just a, a master, just a masterful uh, film in, in every way. Um, my score is 8.75. Okay, excellent. Excellent. Okay. Um, make or break, yeah, the final 20 minutes for me, certainly, the, interrog- the interrogation, because we've been building up to this, and it's the whole film's been fantastic up until that point, but you you really want to see things unfold. Uh, one thing you, you wouldn't have necessarily needed to. I think that he still could have made a great film without even showing any of it, but I do like that this sort of that moment of reckoning uh, that we get to kind of see it unfold. Um, my MVT, you know, I could have gone with Connery. I could have gone with Lumet. Uh, I'm going to go with um, just kind of the dark, unnerving, off-kilter on the edge of a cliff atmosphere, the film. Uh, I, like I said in my review, I love films that take place at night. And if this had been during the day a lot, it kind of breaks you out of that trance and that that feeling uh, that the film was evoking. So that's my MVT is just the, the kind of the atmosphere and the off-kilter nature of the film. Uh, my score for the film is an 8 out of 10, uh, one I'd never heard of. And I highly recommend all of our listeners check out if they haven't seen it. Um, yeah, it won't be the last Lumet we're going to cover. Uh, last Lumet Connery joint we're going to cover, for that matter. But I'm really glad you picked this one, man. It was it was fucking the cat's ass. Yep, and uh, it is available on Netflix, but it is available on DVD, so it is out there. So, so you should all go out and get that. And I'll go out and get uh, the uh, the Anderson tapes and get ready for the the upcoming um, review of that. So yes, and go and check out more Connery if you haven't. If you're just if you just know Bond. Yeah, get just get away from that. You can get into the the bandolier and the red uh, red diaper as well. That shows him uh, putting shame in other people's game, uh, and of course Zardoz. I mean, there's just yeah, <laughs> there's, so, there's so much you can get into with the Connery man. Like I said, you're you're right. It is a shame if people only look at him as as the Martini fucking merchant. So yeah, uh, yeah we're gonna take a quick break. Uh, there you have it. Eight and an eight point seven five. Rock solid scores for a rock solid film. We'll be back to talk about Brin's marvelous career and we're going to do feedback so we'll be right back each week Mondo Justin and I bring you the projection booth and we're two film writers discussing out each week films that we feel are underappreciated under the radar or simply misunderstood or forgotten we bring you not only in-depth discussion but also cutting edge interviews with some of your favorite cult and genre filmmakers so find us on Jackalope Radio FM 105 or iTunes or over at projection-booth.com be sure to tune in each week and remember the projection booth knows the movies you like even if you don't
Okay, here we are. Uh, like I said, we're going to take a, a, some time here to talk a little bit to Brian about what he does, which I think it will be of great interest to a lot of our listeners, um, if not all of our listeners, certainly. He, he has the envy of uh, a lot of us, although at times I'm sure maybe doesn't feel that way to him because he's in the thick of it. But um, in addition to being a podcaster and, uh, and uh, Connery impersonator extraordinaire, uh, tell us, tell the people that don't know. Make most of my money actually is being a Connery impersonator. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I travel the world to Connery's uh, birthday parties, and uh, you know I just do Connery impersonations. Could you smack people's wives around? <laughs> That's the sixty-four thousand dollars question. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, so let's uh, let's get into it, man. What do you do? Tell our listeners that don't know what it is you do and uh, some of the projects you got on the cook right now, man. Um, well, I. I'm a, I sort of, well, I, 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 I work in the film industry, if you want to, Fluffer. I, you know, it's, I still think it's about, like, I, I, I do what I do, uh, and I, I sort of make money in what I do, and I've sort of created this sort of uh, world that I can make money no, no, I don't, Brian. I don't want to talk about Remington's Men of Steel right now. I talk about your work in the film industry. Yeah, well, it's not a film industry. It's just, <laughs> I, well, I, I used to be uh, all through my life. I've done what I what I have been able to do, and I actually watched recently when Steve Jobs um, stepped down as the CEO last week of Apple, uh, which brings me on. You know, people have been making jokes, and you know the way he's been going on about how great Apple is compared to Windows. You know, and saying, well, well Windows just copied Apple. And I saw a good quote yesterday. Someone said, "Well, you can eat an apple, but can you eat a Windows?" <laughs> um, so, but and I, I watched his um, his sort of speech at Stanford, and about how to connect the dots of his life. You know how you look back and say, "Well, if I hadn't done this, I couldn't have done that, and you couldn't have done this if you didn't do that." And how he never um, graduated from college, and uh, how he dropped out, and he he was adopted. Uh, his his mum was a um, a high school dropout and really wanted him to be adopted by um, college graduates so that he would go to college. It was really important, but uh, because he was a boy, the um, his parents that he was going to go to didn't want him because they wanted a girl. Um, so then he was going to go to these other parents, but then it turned out that they weren't college graduates. They were only the high school graduates, so then they didn't want them. So there was all this stuff, you know, how, and then he dropped out of college, but then because he dropped out, he was able to drop into this calligraphy class, which he wouldn't have been allowed to if he stayed with his other classes. And that's why Max had these nice fonts. So he was able to look at all these things, you know, blah, 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 blah. So then I started looking at all this stuff. So anyway, so um, my sort of career has always just been this hodgepodge of just trying to do what, I sort of could do. Um, so I used to be uh, in the architectural world, just designing things, just because I could do architecture and, and uh, uh, CGI, because uh, I always wanted to do film, but there was no film industry in Northern Ireland. So I, I learned to do CGI. So blah, 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 long, long, long story. So anyway, so I, I have, I set up my own film festivals. So that's how I get my uh, money, because people give me ticket sales. Which ends up funding my uh, my films. So I have my first feature in the works, which is a Bigfoot film, 
uh, called Devil in the Woods, which we start on uh, principal photography in October. And that's going to be shot locally? Yeah, um, we're shooting, which is great because in, in Utah we have the mountains and the uh, the forests and everything, so we have these wonderful locations. So um, the uh, the Bigfoot that we have, the, the, the costume is being made by Chris Hansen, who worked on Hellboy, Underworld, Man in Black, um, just any, all these big massive films, so we're really lucky to, to have him. Is that the gentleman, sorry to cut you off, that was on your show a few weeks back? Uh, you guys talked about, I think, a sci-fi hand uh, film? That's uh, Clark Schaefer. Oh, right. He's, okay. he's going to be working on it as well. He um, He's actually building our miniatures. Um, that Bigfoot's going to be running around destroying because <laughs> <laughs> we don't have the budget to destroy too many real buildings. So he's going to be doing the miniatures. So, so that's, you know, as working in the micro-budget stuff, you know, I've worked on enough things in the past uh, 10 odd years that now it's time for me to call in the favors. Um, so even though it is a Bigfoot film, it's still a film. That's my uh, T-shirt right there. Um, so it's called Devil in the Woods. So if you want to you know, jump on Facebook there, it's uh, facebook.com forward slash Devil in the Woods. You'll get all the, the updates coming along. So we're, we're shooting that at the end of October start November and um, it'll definitely be the, the most original uh, Bigfoot film. The tagline that we have at the moment is Balls to the Wall Bigfoot Destruction. Sorry, Brian, I'm having problems with my uh, my head my headphones. Give me one second. If you can keep talking, that'd be good. Okay. Um, well, that's that's the, the feature. Then we also have, I've got a couple of different festivals, the Demon Chaser Film Challenge. I've got uh, all these different film challenges that I have. The, the one at the moment is the Demon Chaser, which is horror uh, based. And basically what you do is you pick your own subgenre. Um, which so you've got uh, creature feature, haunting, uh, malicious extraterrestrial, uh, thriller suspense, all this jazz and, and then you make a film which is six minutes and sixty six seconds long and then we screen it at uh, Vincent Price's Theatre of Terrors in at in at Halloween. And we have Vincent Price's daughter coming out to present the films, uh, which which gives aspiring filmmakers the opportunity to to one make a film, get it screened with a live audience, and and you win prizes and stuff. It's all good fun. So if there's any filmmakers out there that want to make a film, you know, uh, again just get in touch with me and um, you know make your film. It's a, a great fun. You'll you'll get to meet a lot of people, uh, win awards and stuff like that. Uh, I also have an action film festival, which is the TNT. Um, Action Film Festival, same choice. You know, you make a film, maybe a buddy cop film, war film, whatever. Again, it's just arm wrestling. Yep, yep, arm wrestling, um, trucker film, Uh, or an arm wrestling trucker film. Yep, yep. Uh, It's been a while since one of those has been made. So too long. Yep, you just never know, and and it's just it just gives people the chance to make stuff, and and you get out there in front of an audience. So you don't need to have multi millions. Just anyone can make a film these days with your. With your cell phone, everyone's got a camera. Everyone's got editing software on their on their cell phone, and and um, basically that's that's what I do. And I'm a whole lot happier doing that now than having to go like nine to five to some crappy office job um, with some guy, you know, sending me an email at quarter to five and saying this needs done by tomorrow, and having to stay at the office till midnight. And I stay at home, look after my wee boy. He's just uh, 14 months old. Um, 
give me a lot of grief. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just happy, even though I'm just you know really micro budget, but you never know what'll happen with with uh, with Bigfoot. You know, uh, I've met a lot of people, and um, you know, as Zeke was on last week, you know, most people, the majority of them all, are they're all just like us. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of people say, well. You're just living. You're you're living a joke. You're living a dream. It's never going to happen. You say, well, just like any other business, there's a million other people trying to be the um, the best teacher in the world, and there's a million other people trying to be the best um, truck driver or the best fireman. You know, I'm just trying to be the best at what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Uh, you just have to stay hungry and uh, just find what you love to do and you're, you're going to be successful at it. And, and you know, that's what I what I try to do. I'm giving people the opportunity to make stuff and um, we screen it. So you don't have to live in Salt Lake City and that's where I'm, you know, that's where I live now. So I just want to say if any, if there's any listeners to the show that live in Salt Lake, you know, that's where I am. So shoot me a, shoot me a, uh, uh, message and you know we'll certainly get together for a drink or something but um the theater of terror has been some prices at the murray theater on the 15th of october um and that's what i have at the moment i also did the 48 hour film festival and just i i travel around uh, work at sundance and work at slam dance and uh, i just live through film so it's it's great fun that's great, man. And like I said, you know, you said some people look at it disparagingly, say you're living a dream, but I would look at it and say you're living the dream. And I admire the bravery it takes to do that, man. Like I, I've, I think about that sometimes. You know, I, I like the people I work for. I hate my commute. I hate sometimes the hours I carry. But you know, grass is always green on the other side, I guess, when it comes to conventional jobs. But often I, I do think about you, and I think about how much I admire what you do. Uh, that you just you went out and did it, man, and you, you had the balls to do it. And well, I, I didn't really have the choice because I, as I was, you know, when I my company sent me to Salt Lake, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I was working for the same company for 14 years, and I was still doing, I was still in some form of design and animation for mm-hmm. architects. Like I made people walk around buildings mm-hmm. for uh, for the architect <laughs> people, you know. So it was some level of film, you know, and. It was all self-taught, you know. I never, never went to college, never learned anything. All self-taught, and they uh, sent me to Salt Lake from Boston, and then sacked me after six years, after six months. Fuck. You know, my my whole fa- my family, we upped and moved, and then there was no respect, no level of loyalty there, and um, so I was out on my own, and that was that. And I just thought, well, what'll I do, you know? So I just took the bull by the horns, and there's no. Um, you know, I'm not making a, a fortune. I'm not got any aspirations that I'm suddenly going to be Michael Bay or Spielberg. But what I have learned is everybody, you know, back in the days, I was all Mr. Independent, you know, screw Hollywood. But anybody who is in the independent world is struggling every year. You know, I got to get my budget, got to get my budget. But in the end, you give the people what they want. You know, if people want to watch like cars punching each other. <laughs> you know that's what you do like there's there's no you know you can get your independent and your 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 own spirit and your own culture by watching independent stuff but you know so now I'm in the mindset if, if somebody wants to watch some teenage vampire kiss each other that's what I'll give them 
You know, because it's give the audience what they want. Yeah. Um, but me as a person, it's not going to change me. Right. Um, but if I can prance on in, if I get a meeting with someone in Paramount and, and sit down with them, saying, yeah, I'll make you a film about, you know, cars punching each other, cars punching a vampire. Yeah, and then kissing them. They realize that the punch yeah. was in vain because... Yeah, with a with a blue light on them. Yes, absolutely, a blue I'll, filter has to. I'll make you that film for twenty million. No worries. <laughs> That's what you gotta do. You don't turn around and say, "Oh, but that'll hurt my independent spirit." Yeah. Also that. Yeah. Um, and that's what I've really learned. So that's that's what I'm striving for now. You don't, you know, because uh, I'm sure, you know, for all the crap that Michael Bay takes, do you think he really cares? He doesn't give a fuck. He does <laughs> not hear a fucking word the peons say about yep. that, man. That's yep. for sure. So. Well, there you have it. That's good stuff, man. Anything you want to add in terms of websites or anywhere well, else? I know, you, I know you talked about a little bit with uh, Facebook, but anywhere else we can anyone can reach you? or. Uh, well, the, the main one I'm pushing at the moment is Demon Chaser. So DemonChaserFilmChallenge.com is the website. And uh, then all my other stuff is it's all it's, it's genre generator. Uh, film challenge and then they all come underneath that uh, so every every time you know and it, it's really um, you know infancy at the moment but I you know they'll be moving up as and then with each sort of uh, festival as each um, convention opens up so I'm hoping to, to move on to the action film fest so then that's when the action will come up uh, and then like with the room work all these all these things will be opening up so but the main one is DemonChaserFilmChallenge.com. Okay, excellent. Um, why don't we just jump into a few little pieces of feedback? We don't have much. Like I said, voicemails we're going to do next week. I do want to mention something before I forget. Our good friend Coop, uh, if I can call him that, uh, Michael, if he prefers not to be called Coop, um, was kind enough to offer up he uh, a stabilizer DVD because he double bought and as tempted as I was to say, Hey man, I'll buy it off you. Um, I think that we'll, uh, we'll get it out to the listeners. He wanted to give one away to everyone because he actually was the winner of our last contest, the uh, machine gun McCain one for diabolic DVD. So uh, anyone who wants to um, enter the contest for a stabilizer giveaway, send an email with the title Peter O'Brien. No, Peter Goldson has tough tits to our email, which is midnightcinema at gmail.com, M-I-D-N-I-T-E, and uh, they can be entered into the contest. We'll give that away in a few weeks, and there you have it. Um, now, inter- And also, I do want to mention, Justin, I said I was going to get uh, the questions answered to you from your interview. I lied, clearly, not knowing I was going to lie at the time when I said I would have it done. Uh, I will get those answered this week and I'm working a lot of hours I'll have the time to get it done so terribly sorry uh, feedback we only have, we have some voicemails but like I said we're getting into those next week just because I gotta I gotta set it up so I can play them and and answer them and whatnot because I have a bit of a different setup than Sammy uh, mine's more popsicle sticks and old chewing gum um, so yeah our only e- actually we got two emails <clears throat> one from no sorry I lied that was from last week from Keith uh, it's from Scott, uh, Toronto Scott. Of course, he uh, is a good friend of ours and uh, married with Clickers fame, certainly. So his title is American Zapata Westerns. Gents, I know that you guys focused your discussion on Zapata Westerns of the spaghetti variety, but I want to recommend a superb American film, The Professionals, directed by Richard Brooks. 
This is something of a proto-wild bunch, and I think it is the best American Western produced between Ride the Hyde Country, Ride the High Country, and The Wild Bunch. Has an amazing cast. Burt Lancaster, Lee Marvin, Robert Ryan, and Woody Strode are hired to rescue a rancher's wife, played by Claudia Cardinal, after she has been kidnapped by a Mexican revolutionary, played by Jack Palance. Yes, that is the actual cast. I'm not making this up. How's that for a posse? I don't know how I don't know why this one doesn't show up on my great western lists because it is a fine film, beautifully shot by Comrade Hall and plays an important part in the evolution of the western. As an aside, can I just tell you how much I love Robert Ryan? Sometimes I just wish that he and Sterling Hayden would rise from the grave and beat the shit out of Ryan Reynolds and the rest of the modern day action heroes. Uh, of course, Robert Ryan wouldn't do that as he was a pacifist, a hardcore liberal and a social activist. They just don't make him like that anymore. Well, on the topic of Ryan, he was in plenty of films with some of the complex themes that pop up on your show all the time. I'd love to hear you cover something like The Setup, Bad Day at Black Rock, or even God's Little Acre. A very, very peculiar film. Stay gold, Scott. Uh, now, I'm sure, being a Western man, uh, you have seen uh, The Professionals. Yep. Quite good, I imagine, from uh, in your opinion as well? Yeah, there's a lot of like, the, old, the old 50s, 60s, like that type of... Um, westerns that i haven't seen mm-hmm. you know, more the sort of american like you know everything's good and you know the brave like white hat black hat mm-hmm. westerns that i haven't seen because i'm more of the sort of spaghetti westerns you know those sort of more grungy um you know dirty westerns mm-hmm. i things i i i'm really lacking i don't even think i've seen i think maybe two john wayne westerns have you seen the shootest no, you should see the shooters, man. Yeah, I think the only the only John Wayne I've seen is um, the Searchers. That's great. Yeah, that's a fantastic. Uh, I haven't even the the original um, True Grit. I oh, it's real. I, I prefer it to the Coens one. Yeah, I've seen I've seen I there's one that I've seen with um, oh what's his face the uh, drunk guy of the the Rat Pack. No, oh, Dean Martin, Real Bravo. Yeah, I've You've seen. seen it. Okay, good because Real Bravo is fantastic. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> those are my only two John Wayne's. Um, I did, but that, that style of westerns, I'm I'm pretty lacking. And then I've seen that one with uh, uh, Kirk Douglas and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> the uh, the villain. Uh, but it's called Cactus Jack. Oh uh, yes. In 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 back home. Uh, so those are my, my, my styles of, and then obviously the Peck and Powell Westerns. Yeah, those you know, are the... I, I don't really rate those. I don't put Peck and Powell Westerns in that style of... Uh, no, uh, they're a little bit a little bit after that. Yeah, um, but my main, my my style of Western is uh, Spaghetti Westerns. Heavy and, on the marinara. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, because that, that's what the real West was like. It's not like, oh, and, it's tough. Yeah, and I don't have any dust on me. Yeah, the noble. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, man. Well, I do know Scott would be happy to you know that Bad Day at Black Rock is on our, our roadmap on Sammy's side. I've never seen it. Uh, mm-hmm. I will move The Professionals, which is one that's always eluded me and I've, I've wanted to see, so I'm going to definitely move it up the list. Uh, big fan of Claudia, as well as the other actors in the film, so yep. I'll definitely have to move it up. Um, that's actually all of our email feedback this week. We haven't gotten, we've been light on the emails, man. People, people don't want to write in anymore. They don't want to reach out to the GGTMC. So get yeah, out your keyboards and stroke away. Uh, yeah, which is tough for Hamacus. It's my voicemail line died. So I kept 
no feedback at all because no one likes to email anymore. So, Eesh. you guys, you got to call in, man. You know, podcasters, the chicken soup for the podcaster's soul is feedback. So, you know, Brian puts out a great show every week. It's varied. He's got a lot of great guests on. Um, please, you know, if you like a show, take 30 seconds. Say your show's amazing. I love this review. Call in. Get a calling card. Skype them. Send them a one sentence email. Anything like it? It's really what helps. What kind of spurs us all on to get up on those mornings when we're tired and we're busy or we don't feel like recording. So, if you if you've been given an hour, or two hours, or three hours of enjoyment from listening to podcasts, I would highly recommend you 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 let the people know that that you dig what they do because it's you know it's it's hard work sometimes you know with the technical side and stuff. But uh, yeah, that's it, man. Um, I want to thank you. It's been long overdue. I want to thank you very much for getting on and, and of course, representing uh, with a fantastic film this week. Um, we're going to have Brian back on to cover what we were originally going to cover, which is this, uh, I was going to say the Stabilizer. Well, the Revenger and uh, yeah. <laughs> Django the Bastard. We're going to have that at the end of September sometime. Uh, uh, I wish to apologize because I'm sure everyone's disappointed because I'm sure everyone was excited for the Revenger. Yeah, they, they certainly were, but I don't blame Sammy for... for uh, politely asking us to hold off because I wouldn't want to miss the Revenger coverage either. This. But I, I hope that they, they weren't, even though that our our review was for a whole lot more morose of a film um, than um, than the Revenger is. But uh, but yeah, happy day. So what are you covering next week? Are you going to do the Diabolic? No, we were good. Well, we, that's the problem because Sammy's not going to be on probably for, for potentially for the next few weeks. I don't know for sure. So I know myself and uh, the Death Rattle Death Rattle Aaron and I are going to be doing a show next week. Uh, on my side, I've decided to pick Who'll Stop the Rain, which is a Nick Nolte film from 1978. Yep. Uh, Tuesday Weld, Michael Moriarty, uh, Anthony Zerby, Sammy's favorite, is coming back next week. Um, as well as uh, Ray Sharkey, actually another Sammy favorite. So I'm going to do that. Aaron was still up in the air as to what he was going to pick, so it's going to be some Nolte, which uh, is never a bad thing. And then uh, we're going to get into something that Aaron picks. Um, now, let me just get into the pleasantries before we say adios here. I uh, kind of did it backwards there, but, you know, that's the way it goes. Sometimes I fumble around in the dark. Uh, okay. or, on Hamacus this week, we're doing um, Seance on a Wet Afternoon with uh, Richard Attenborough from 1936. Oh, wow. Taking it back. Way back playback. Yep. Nice. I've heard of that film. I've never seen it. So, very good. 1936. It's uh, Seance on a Wet Afternoon? Yes. Nice. That's a that's a Zom title if I've ever heard one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, Horror Hound, hopefully the Bryn will be there along with us, uh, everyone else. Book your rooms, book your cars, book your flights. Um, check out, of course, Hammockus, uh, our good friend Brian. He's got a rotating cast, including Mike uh, from Cadaver Lab. So, if you haven't checked them out, hopefully after hearing this review, you've been sorted out and uh, know the truth now that uh, Hammy is a fantastic show. As well, check out our sister shows, Show Show, OTC, Silva and Gold, uh, all of our friends over at palaver.com. Check out Cine Awesome, Paleo Cinema, Married with Clickers, Action Attraction, Better in the Dark, V Cinema, Podcast of Honor and Humanity, and The Criterion Cast. Also, check out paracinema.net, get a subscription to our favorite genre magazine, uh, nightmaretheater.blip.tv, weareyoungmonster.com, and teleport-city.com. The following blogs are all .blogspot.com, the GGTMC, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, uh, Deadly Doll's House, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, Fist of B-List, Cinema Gonzo, Playground of Doom, Scared Shiftless in Shasta. You know what I keep forgetting to add to our um, 
uh, our fucking roll call is uh, the projection booth. Uh, Mike and Justin's great show with the projection booth. I'm going to write that down. I accidentally forgot to write it down. Editing on the air. Amazing. Um, Scared Shiftless and Shasta, Moon in the Gutter, Wax Mask, DeathRattle.net, LightningBugsLayer.com, CinemaSatori.wordpress.com. Um, as well, uh, our, certainly our sponsors, Diabolic DVD, CDB, promo code, that's Cinema-DE-Bizarre, promo code GENTLEMAN for 10% off your orders, OMG-Entertainment.com, GGTMC10 for 10% off your orders, and the mighty Camera Obscura. Uh, join us all on Facebook. Find Bryn on Facebook through the links that he's provided prior. Um, join us all on Twitter, which is .com backslash CGTMC, Large William, Uncoolcat, Bob Freelander, Pickleof10. What's your uh, Twitter again? Oh, I don't have Twitter. I thought you did for some reason. I did have one, but I couldn't work out how to use it because I'm yeah. pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're another popsicle stick and chewing gum guy. Yeah, no, I just I, I had it and I was just, what the hell is this thing? So, yeah, I would just suck up too much. But it, sometimes if you listen to Hamakis, I do have a, I have a bird called Tesla, and sometimes he tweets <laughs> when he's on my shoulder. So that's my Twitter. There you go. That's it. <laughs> Uh, check us out on iTunes. Please leave us reviews on iTunes. It'd be great. We've been kind of stale in that category lately. And we have a donate button, as always. Uh, if you want to donate to our show, certainly do so. We've already talked about what we're covering, at least for one half of the show next week. Um, again, Bri, I want to say thanks very much. And I'm certainly sorry that it's taken us this long to get a gentleman of your standing on our show. Uh, it was a pleasure. And uh, we'll have to do this again. And we will do this again very soon. Happy days. So with that, we will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 